Welcome to Searching for Shinies, the football stickable podcast with me, Ketch, and him, Richie Wyatt. Richie, thanks to our good friends at Play With A Legend, we have found a legend. Rule Fox. I was beside myself with happiness when they confirmed Rule was up for joining us on the show. Newcastle legend, but what an exciting player to watch as well in the 90s. And, and my word, what a lovely, lovely fella. We're all footballers in the 90s, utter gems of human beings or what. I mean, in all seriousness, we found 14 players now, all absolute diamonds. Um, and that leads me to my next question. Have you unearthed any diamonds for us? Because at the time of recording, there's nothing in the diary. Nada. Nish. Well, hi everyone. I can confirm. Drum roll, please. Okay, I'll add that in. There remains nothing in the diary. Oh. So, so. I'm just going to add some booze in. Yeah, okay. Um, we've we've had a nibble, okay. um, a nibble from a player who played for Leeds, played for Coventry, mm. ah. the, mi- the mighty mighty Borough, Darlington, wow. former teammate of Gaza, of Carlton Here Palmer, of Paul Telfer, all the, <laughs> all the big names, Mister Noel Whelan. Ah. Okay, so, however, having bound down to increasing public pressure, and a shout out to the Leeds and Coventry fans on Twitter for yep. applying a, a pressing game on him, um, he followed us on Twitter, which is a good sign. It shows that he's semi-interested. However, he has once more eluded my clutches. Now, I say once more, because his DMs are open for business, meaning anyone can message him. And the other day, when I was composing my latest effort... I read back through the messages I've sent him over the last year, and honestly, it's cringeworthy. <laughs> it's, it makes what? horrendous reading. It's no wonder he hasn't got back to me. It's either he's not interested. What have you been sending him? Well, it's, it's just like plea messages coming on podcast and all. Okay. So it's either he doesn't want to come on, or he doesn't know how to work his DMs, uh-huh. um, which wouldn't be a great surprise. You know, not all ex-footballers are tech-savvy, as we have found. But more likely, it's the former that he thinks we're we're total amateurs. Hmm. So no dice, but we'll keep we'll keep plugging away. Maybe a professional needs to step in and take over the conversation, vis a vis moi. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I don't know how many people you've actually got on by yourself. Well, but... we want to talk about getting people on the series. I mentioned earlier in season two that Alan Shearer mm-hmm. ever heard of him? Has been liking <laughs> some of my social media content. Unbelievably, Alan follows me on Twitter. So, in theory, I can message my absolute 90s hero any time of day. It's like a special power. Mm. But uh, I'm just terrified of its force. I don't really want to use it. But there's only so many unsolicited LinkedIn messages I can send stinging Inga Bjornaby. So, <laughs> tonight, I can confirm I've officially slid in to Alan's DMs. Yes, here we go. Would you like to hear what I wrote yes, to please. Alan Shearer? Is it going to be as cringeworthy as to what I write to Noel Whelan? Well, let you be the judge. Hi, Alan. Catch here. <laughs> this is so good. I co-host a 90s football podcast called Searching for Shinies. Premise is myself and a mate tracking down any player who featured in the 1997 Premier League sticker book and doing an interview with them. Can we just stop you there? Right. You mentioned about you being a professional. Yeah. Way to make a feel make a guy feel special by saying any player. Any player. Go on. Previous guests have included Lee Dixon, Michael Bridges, Keith Gillespie, and your best man Neil Madison. Oh nice. Who had some cracking tales 
about the lad's holiday you took with him <laughs> to Spain in the 80s. Do you know what? I take this back. This is really well put together. You're in the sticker book, of course. Brackets. You're also on the front cover with Eric Cantona! Exclamation mark. Close brackets. <laughs> Would you be available at any stage between now and Christmas to come on a show? Two question marks. We'd be prepared to make a £200 donation to the Alan Shearer Foundation in return for your time. Hey? We, well, I didn't sign off on that, but continue. My co-host, Richie Wyatt, also promised <laughs> to do a 12-hour bath in baked beans if you come on the show. <laughs> That's totally made up. You didn't write that, did you? No, I didn't write that. No, I was going to say. <laughs> but would you do that for the foundation? You would. What, to get Shearer on? Yeah. Are they, bath. Are they or warm? do the podcast in a bath of baked beans for extra money. Are the beans warm? <laughs> uh, well, it's a bit dangerous, but... I think you want cold beans, but we'll cross that bridge when we're going to it. Okay. I concluded my uh, DM to Alan by saying, appreciate it's a long shot, and obviously no offence if you don't fancy it. We do the chats on Zoom, and we'll work around any time that suits you. Hope to hear from you. Matt Ketchell, black and white emojis. And then I've uploaded a picture of Alan from the 1997 book, Mm -hmm. uh, and said, here's your sticker, exclamation mark, with uh, the eyes emoji. Uh, So I sent that an hour ago. And he, he hasn't read it just yet. Mm-hmm. You never know. So there we are. We're in Alan's DMs. How about wh- when we get to the end of the, the podcast, maybe you could have another look and just check. Has he yep. read it? Okay. Um, Hourly status updates from you on that front. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will be doing I will be doing that. I know he's active on, on Twitter, so uh, mm. fingers crossed. I feel bad for you, to be honest with you. I feel like I've kind of forced you into that. But, you know, you've got to do it. What would you know? What would the listeners want? They'd want you doing that sort of thing. Yeah, it could be, it could be incredible. It could be incredible. Okay. Well, anyway, this episode is of course about Rule Fox, yeah. and we're thrilled to secure Rule, Rule as a guest. He had just, if I remember correctly, catch he just finished a coaching session, and correct me if I'm wrong, he stopped off at his mum's in Colchester for an hour or so prior to travelling back to Ipswich, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. So we asked him, as we always do, as part of our sort of housekeeping. How long have you got for us? Mm. You know, because we had, of course, prepared yet another three-hour marathon for him. Mm. He responded about twenty minutes. Yeah, and at this point, our faces fell. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I think we shouldn't ask players that. We we should just start and 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 see them get uncomfortable and ask to tap out, <laughs> which is which has happened before. But we like to sort of really do like an expose into their early career, and the risk well, is that we don't even get to ninety six, ninety seven. So we've got to check with them. No, uh, I say we just hold them hostage well, okay. until until they get well, uncomfortable. We'll do that with Shira then, shall we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's do that, Alan. Yeah. Um, so what it meant was because you said twenty minutes, we had to rattle through our questions. Um, but he was enjoying it, and he did stay a bit longer. Hmm. He wouldn't let us brush over Norwich, which was quite amusing. So, but we spent time focusing on on Toon and on Spurs as well. Um, in fact, I'm smiling now thinking about some of the topics that we covered in the episode, in particular when we got into his international career, which. Uh, he was a funny man, and he responded well to have, having fun poke time, which was mm. really great. Obviously, Rule only gave us, or only committed to, early doors in the conversation, about 20 minutes, which was gutting for me, because as part of the prep that I'd done for him, I'd dug out an old football song that me and some of my mates from uni used to sing. So, Rule was a teammate of uh, Inter Milan and Italy's Nicola Berti, who was known as a bit of a Lothario. And he brought with him to Spurs an absolutely quality football chant, which I promised my uni mates that I would sing to Rule Fox, 
and see if he remembered it and if I could get him to join in. But because he only gave us that 20 minutes, or that's what we initially thought, I had to I had to cut it out of the episode. So, listeners, if the conversation goes well, Rule Fox, I may bring out the Nicola Bertie song at the end of the episode. But for now, here is Tottenham's Rule Fox. Joining us today is sticker number 471 in the 1997 Premier League sticker book, a player who made 223 Premier League appearances, scoring 36 goals and making 39 assists. He is the second member of the Norwich City Hall of Fame that we've had on this series. He's a former Montserrat international and one of the fastest players I've ever watched burn down the wing at St James's Park. It's an honour to extend a big shiny welcome to Tottenham's Rule Fox. Rule, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure, mate. We're absolutely delighted for you to be here. And what we like to start each show with is by asking the player if they can name their teammates that appear on the sticker book page in 1997 alongside you. There's 15, 16 including yourself. My God. How many of the Spurs squad, this is 96, 97, can you name? I can't remember yesterday. So <laughs> I'll have a go. I'll have a go at it, like I said to you. I mean, obviously pictures I'm good at, but... Some of the, as long as there's not too many foreign players, I'll be all right. Where you I'll go? try my best. I'll try my best. So, who do you reckon's in goal? What? I thought, I thought you were going to show me the stickers. No, <laughs> no, no. no, no. <laughs> Make it easier for me. <laughs> you wish. You wish. <laughs> I should have Googled it. I could have got it undone. I don't want to upset anyone. Right, um, Ian Walker in goal? Yeah. Oh, Justin Edinburgh left back? Yes. Oh, he's severed. Jeez. 96, 97. Gary Mabbitt. Yes. Yeah. Colin Calderwood. Here we go. Um, Dean Austin. He might not be right back, actually. I think he just left. He just left. Or didn't have a sticker. Oh, Steve no, Carr. He hasn't made it. Into, yeah, it's Steve too early Carr. for him. Too early. My God, I'm stuck then. I should know, really, because I play on that right side. I'll carry on. Um, Alan Nielsen. Yeah. Was David there then? David? Do you know that? He was at Newcastle. At Darren point. Anderton. Yeah. Yeah, he's there. Yeah. Teddy. I don't think Teddy might have left. Yeah, he was there. Big. Yeah, he was there. Teddy was there. Sol Campbell. Yeah. Um, Alan Everson. No. Chris Armstrong. Yes. Rolf Fox. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> Sticker number 471. Trying to think now. There's a fullback that's signed at the same time as you. In fact, I don't know if he's a fullback or midfielder. A guy that signed about the same time as you from Manchester. He's from Manchester. Signed from, I, I think he came from QPR. Oh, Clive Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. He's left back though. Yeah, well, anyway, played left and right. Um, oh, I can't say. There was a, I'm stuck there. There's a defender with big blonde curtains. Stuart Nevercott. Yeah. 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 Nevers. Um... Not Rory Allen, he, he was in that team. Um, Good shout, he didn't have a sticker. But he was in that squad, weren't he? Rory Allen. Yeah. There's another, as a midfielder from your neck of the woods. Oh, yes. Oh, Jason Dazelle. Yeah. Yeah. I think you need two more here. Do I? Yeah, one, one unfortunately, who, no matter how well he played, his reputation will go down as one of the worst misses of all time. Missed an own, own goal, not for Spurs, for his, the club previous to Spurs. Missed an open goal. Yeah, like it's a, like a yeah. Premier League classic. 
Oh, my mate Ronnie Rosenthal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the belter on the VHSs in the nineties. That one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ronnie, you've got you've got one more, and it's a it's a QPR legend. Little Geordie. Oh, not Les Ferdinand. He weren't there, did? No. QPR. Little Geordie, Geordie. England. He played for England. Oh, um, oh, God's sake, I've got his name, actually. Played on either wing, did he? Played, played, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Oh, I wish you didn't say Geordie now. When he went with Geordie, didn't have a Geordie accent. Sheffield Wednesday as well, weren't it? Yeah. Oh, oh God, on, I really Foxy. hope. You know everything about him. I know. Please, come on, come on, come on. I hope he's not listening. I know, I hope he's not either. No, oh, this is a sin. <laughs> I've had a mind I think he still works in football. <laughs> give me, give me a letter in his first name. This is a sin. A. Oh no! Oh, he played a ton of games as well. I know, I know. I've, I've pictured him. <laughs> I can see him there. Don't have to remind me. I know who he is. I've got him in my head, but I can't. I've, I've, I've told you a surname and you haven't got I it. Don't, I won't get it. I won't get it now. Um, Andy. Oh, not even the first name. <laughs> I don't. I don't I'm, S. Is it S? Eddie, yeah, S? yeah, yeah, yeah. Sinton. <laughs> yes, Christ. Yes. Sorry, sorry, Andy. It's been a long sorry, night. Oh, I've been out, I've been outside all day in the freezing cold. I've oh. brain freeze. Andy Sinton. Move on quickly, yeah. quickly. I don't remember yeah. many players who take my place in the team. So, <laughs> yeah. or, or I, or yeah, I get awkward. dropped for. Oh, oh, rule. I'm going to move this on quickly. We, yeah. we just need uh, to say that um, if this interview's been arranged by Play with a Legend. Yeah. And I just want to say to our our listeners that Play with a Legend. If, if they haven't heard of Play With A Legend, they're a company who organise these amazing football events that give fans a chance to play football alongside players like yourself. And you can have a pint with the the, the, the guys afterwards, ask them about their careers. Amazing shout for stag do's and, and corporate events. And they, they arrange events at stadiums and they do these all over the country. And they sent me a video of, of one you were involved in, a 10-all draw at Carroll oh, Road. Uh, we were watching the highlights they're amazing. Like there's graphics, there's replays, there's a proper yeah, commentary yeah. over the top. It's done um, properly. It, it's, yeah. It's a, what, what's it like? It's brilliant. I mean, I think I was one of the first ones to start doing it. They approached me about, for God's sake, let's go back six, seven years ago. Um, it was just some. T- at, at first, it was just about you know getting some premier players together and playing, and it just grew. And the the actual. The website they put together, the platform is brilliant. You know, like I said, you go along, you you generally play, depending on your age and movement, you play at the goals, you know, the, in, the in artificial surface, at goals places where they play for other sides. So I'm all right at that. I can, I'm a bit nimble still, so I can get about a bit. But yeah, I mean, touch what I have at a bad event. The event's been brilliant. They're well organised, you know, the, the people are genuine fans. So you have a good kick about with them, have a laugh, have a few pints with them after a game. So, I mean, it, you know, I, I recommend it to anyone who wants to, you know, just just go and play with a player, you know, because it's good. You know, some players might not be moving that, that quickly, but, you know, I, I enjoy it. I mean, I'm not the sort of person who really who li- likes doing things like that. I keep myself to myself, but this is probably the... I've been approached by quite a lot of companies to do it, but this is the only company that I kind of trust and... And believe in so yeah i mean highly recommend um play with a legend yeah i've, I've watched the video as, as catch referenced and the, the quality superb in terms of the way they put it all together i'm not sure yeah. about football but how they put it all together um, <laughs> you want entertainment for your money don't you <laughs> yeah. you want to you want to you want to end up you want to have a, you're on an arsenal when it's just a one nil yeah. do you yeah, exactly. 10 all you can't buy yeah. that yeah um, yeah
So m- moving into your your actual career, then, well, obviously you started out at Norwich. Are you, you're from Ipswich originally, so you yeah yeah from Ipswich. I still live in Ipswich now. Did you support Ipswich? Yeah, well, I supported Ipswich, but Man United also. Oh, let's let's move on. Oh, dear. <laughs> before they were good, by the way. Before they were, yeah, before sure. the, yeah, yeah. How did you get? How did you get spotted? I'm just playing local football. I think back in my day, late eighties, coming to the nineties, it it was it was more easier to to get recognised. We had scouts, you know, they used to go around the Sunday leagues, go around the kids' footballs, turn up to tournaments. So I was playing local football around my Ipswich area with my mates, you know, playing just playing normally. I didn't. Re- I, I kind of not being boasting, knew I was a decent player, but I had people in my team who I probably thought were a lot better than me. It was just about being in the right place at the right time. I think while I was playing, I think I got spotted when I was 12, 13, and I was training at Ipswich at the time. And at that time, in the six weeks' holidays, what we still have now, they used to just scout around Sunday leagues and Saturday kids' teams and say to them, you know, there's an open training sessions for two weeks over the school holidays. So loads of kids used to pop down there. Ipswich um, were interested in me. They took me on trial for two weeks. Then they asked me to go back for another two weeks, but they still couldn't make their mind up. So in the meantime, I was getting a bit despondent with it. So lucky for me, just um, literally across the road from my mum's house, uh, there was a uh, player called Louis Donwa who was playing for Norwich. So I used to knock on his door every day, you know, begging him for a trial. God, take me up Norwich, take me up Norwich. And eventually, <laughs> through, through anger, he took me up there. He took me up there for one day trial, and in that day they signed me. Oh wow! Signed me straight away. So it was, you know, even though I was thought I was virtually signing for it, they were kind of hovering and hovering whether they want to sign me. But Norwich jumped straight into it, so mm. that's how I got signed. And obviously, then it took off from there, playing schoolboy football, and then eventually signed a professional contract. Mm-hmm. Mm. And by the time the Premiership has formed in in 1992, you are at that point a, a first team regular for for Norwich. Um, there's a lot of big names in that squad as well, like it's Brian Gunn, Jeremy Goss, Mark Bowen, Gary Megson, Efanakoku, Chris Sutton, etc. I'm, I'm doing a disservice by not mentioning yeah. them all. Who were the big characters in the squad around that time? As in experienced players, big players? Oh, just just the big personalities. I mean, it, it was a, it was a Norwich is always still today. It's a family-run club, so they we always trained together. So it was the kind of thing that we was part of the senior setup. So it was quite an easy progression for me in ways of getting to know the players because you, at, at times we had apprenticeships then, which obviously they don't have now. We had apprenticeships then where you looked after professional players. So I was doing Steve Bruce's boots and Mick Shannon's boots and all players like that. So their interaction was very good. So once I got into the first team, it, it was it was just it was just a natural progression. We had some, some strong players in there, but it, there was no what we call big-time players. So as a youngster coming in, we just felt at home. So, you know, as players I looked up to, you know, Robert Fleck was mm. was a good influence on me because one, he used to let me stay around his, you know, so I used to stay digs around his and Brian Gunn was great for me as well. You know, I mean, I had um, Dale Gordon was there. I looked up to him and eventually got to play with him before he left for Glasgow Rangers. So it was a mixture, you know, the senior players were, were great. You know, the, the good thing about our squad is that it was a squad of players who had something to prove. You know, we had we 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 had this quite a good connection with um, getting Tottenham players as well. We had Ian Carveras, Mark Bowen was a great signer. Ian Crook was brilliant. You know, John Polson was there. Um, we 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 had this good mixture of, of footballing players. So, and I think at the time we all were kind of coming to that peak at our, at our, our playing level. Mm. I remember 
you, you you write about Norwich being a family club. Mm. I remember at this time, around about this time in the nineties, we were on holiday in Norwich, and me and my dad just went to Carroll Road, and they just let us into the stadium. Yeah, <laughs> we were just like yeah. walking around the it's pitch. Bad. Apart from they were the Premier League at the time. Yeah, yeah, that that Norwich City and there's someone like and Newcastle. They're exactly exact the same where it comes to as trying to keep things as traditional as, as possible. You know, because everyone talks about the Premiership now, you know, the money's come in and it's it's probably the best league in the world. But the one thing fans always say to me, there's no connection. So, you know, that's why Newcastle's got this this great following about it. Because especially in my day, when I was at Newcastle, the fans were allowed to just come to training. And it's the same at Norwich. So it's no different for me. I, I prefer that. I prefer to have that connection with the fans. Mm. Mm. Should we go straight to the Newcastle stuff, Richie? <laughs> um, yeah, we can do, yeah. <laughs> well, no, we're not. About Norwich, we're, not. we're not doing that. No. We're not doing there's that. A big event, there's a big event that happened in, in the 93-94 the season, which was the, the UEFA Cup. Norwich made the last 16. Beat Bayern Munich en route. The squad, we had a look at the squad earlier. Ridiculous. Lothar Mateus, Christian Zieger, Thomas Helmer, Mehmet Scholl. First English team... To win at Bayern was Norwich. Yeah. Talk us through that one, real please. It was mad. It was mad. It was mad. I mean, we just come off the back of a season. Don't forget where we just. I know it sounds strange. But we just missed out on the Premiership. I mean, we was yeah. top of the Premier till mm. I think it was after Christmas, mm-hmm. and then uh, we obviously eventually got caught by Man United, and I think it was Aston Villa. Man United, yeah. Aston Villa, yeah, that's right, yeah. there. So again, we was we was we was on a high. You know, you know the expectation from us. Was it big from Norris City, from the owners, from the fans, from the managers? So, like I said before, we all were playing at our at our peak. So every game we approached, we just looked at it as it sounds strange, but we just went out there just say, Do you know what? Let's just go out there and enjoy it. There was no tactic boards or anything like that. You know, it was just a case of we was more concerned about our bonus because we because <laughs> oh, yeah. we was on a bonus that time. Our bonus was more than our wages at the time because oh, yeah. what it what what it was in them days. We'd have our senior players who go and negotiate your bonuses for winning games. So we had a a rolling on bonus, which meant that every time you won a game in a row, the money doubled and doubled and doubled. Oh wow! So you imagine like a game show. Yeah, the money, <laughs> the money we was the money we was on. I mean, compared to any money, it weren't. But compared to what we was on, you know, the money we was on, you know. When we were top of the league, that we, we our bonuses were more than our wages. So then we had a negotiation, a ridiculous negotiation. Just you know, you they just put them in there just for the sake of it. They put well, if you ever get in Europe, we'll give you this and that. So they didn't expect us ever to get in Europe. So once we qualified, the chairman was trying to change the contract, and he was like, "Oh no, I can't give you that. I can't mm. give you that." We they never thought we did. So for us going to Vitesse Arnhem, you know, and Bayern Munich and places like that. It's like I said. It sounds strange, but we had nothing to lose, mm. and, and the style of football that we were playing, you know, we had youngsters, brave youngsters. We had Chris Sutton, Darren Eady, you know, and mm. these players. And like we said, we we were taught just to go and express ourselves. So we had Mike Walker there also, you know, who was who was a great manager to have because he just allowed us just to enjoy ourselves. So the bar unit thing. Looking back at it now, you know, when you talk about, it, I think we had a ten year anniversary one time and. You know, we was going over the game and talking about it. I still, it still didn't sink into me. You know what a what a massive achievement that was. Mm. Mm. Did you get a shirt after that one? Yes, I got. I uh, got the Brazilian because uh, it's framed up now, so I've obviously got the back of it done. 
Yeah, so I, I've got, I think it was, I can't remember, it was one of the Brazilians, there was two Brazilians playing, I got one of their shirts, because I was trying to get Christian Zegers, but yeah. uh, someone else rushed and got it before me, like, but... Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good thing you remember his name, though, and that's the main thing. I, I'm, actually, have you not, have you not realised, from the beginning of this, this show, I, I'm useless at names? <laughs> Keep up with me. Keep up with me. I'll forget about this conversation by, by, by 10 o'clock. There's one name that you won't forget, and that's... Dennis Bergkamp, who of course you played against in the the next round. Inter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah so I've got his shirt. Oh, see, I remember that. See, oh, I've yeah. Got his, yeah, yeah, Inter. I've got, yeah, I have got oh, his shirt. Yeah, yeah. So again, again, we played against them, but I think it was different levels. By the time we got to play them, I mean, no disrespect to Bayern Munich, but they were they they were like machines. I mean, Bergkamp, it it just felt like we ha- we had them sussed out for sixty minutes. And they just changed gear on us, you know. They just changed gear, and their fitness levels, you know. We, we was always, our singular club was always them clubs. We never looked after our diets, and you know, we always kind of laughed at the foreign clubs because they, you know, Arsene Wenger coming over here and he changed mm. the way that you went and stuff. We we was eating McDonald's before games, and you know, <laughs> and stuff. You know, it, we, you know, the diets weren't that important, you know, because we just relied on our natural ability and you know obviously we got natural fitness because of the training we're doing but when it comes to high intensity and you know playing at a, a higher level you know I think you know no one was disappointed you know or, or could grumble about the way the result went they, they mm-hmm. were a different class and what's mad about the UEFA Cup in those days is it's all the second place teams third place teams fourth place teams so you're playing some of the best absolute best teams in Europe not you know yeah. no disrespect to the Europa League now but it's a different kettle of fish isn't it yeah, so there was no easy draw, was it? I mean, to say that, though, I mean, we, we, we had Vitesse Arnhem in the first round, you know, even though they were a good team in their league, you know, when you when you compare the two leagues, our league was, was way above. I think when I was playing, I think we regarded probably Italy as the best league in the world at that time. Mm-hmm. I bet Bayern Munich were rubbing their hands when they got Norwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were like, oh, do, 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 you, do you know what, as well, when you look back at it, because I've, I've looked at clips back on it, and they were throwing their toys at the pram. They were moaning all the time. They were trying to influence the game, you know, and you know, and, and failing injury and all that. But you, when, when you're playing, you don't see it all. Mm. But then you realise their 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 temperament and mentality. They do not like losing. Yeah. Whatever mm. the game. And it wasn't long after that that the manager Mike Walker moved on. So that was in the January '94, and then you moved to Newcastle a few weeks later. Were, were those two events connected? If Walker had stayed, might you have stayed? Or could has um, the chairman run out of money with all your bonuses he had to sell you? Or yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's paying me and Sutty all the money, so he ran out of money. <laughs> no, um, I, I think when it, when, it, when it comes to that situation, I mean, um, I can remember when once we, once we had this European one, we went into the next season. Obviously, we went to the next season. And I, I could see as a player that we needed strengthening. You know, we had... Even though we had some great senior players like your Brian Guns, I think Fletcher might have left. We had Ian Butterworth there, you know, Mark Burr. I can't remember I came out with a statement once which didn't go down too well with some of the senior players. And I said that we needed to get, you know, some fresher, younger players in, you know, because you you could see the way Man United were, were playing. You know, they had the gigs and sharps and they were always, you know, revolving their team and bringing new players in. And I just felt we was a club that wasn't ever going to do that. So I, I so we I was quite content on staying, you know, because me and Chris Sutton had formed a good a great friendship and a good you know bond on the pitch. Lee Power was there, was another great friend of mine. So you know we knew we probably had another good couple of seasons in us, 
you know, as a as a group and add a few players. You know, I think we had an effort of cuckoo and so we, we, we had we had some a decent squad. We had the youngsters coming through. So it surprised me when Mike took up the first opportunity mm. because he that's his first time in management at, at that level. He'd done really well. And I thought he'd probably want to, you know, he had a good coach alongside him called Dave Williams. And I thought that he maybe would stay for one more season just to see it out. Mm. But I think that triggered a lot of movements after that because once Mike went, um, I found myself in a position where I, I was, you know, I think we had John Deere there who again was an ex-legend there. John Deere was, you know, he was one of them underrated coaches where not a lot of people knew about. You know, everyone talked about Mike Walker, but, you know, Dave Williams and, and John Deere were, they were a massive part of, you know, the way we played and, and, and you know, getting the best out of players. So I was happy, happy, happy to be there. Obviously, Mike Go was a disappointment. Then my situation, I was going to training and then the chairman just phoned me up while I was travelling from Ipswich to training. And he says to me, he wants to speak to me about a contract improvement which I felt was strange because not being bigger than I was, me and Chris Sutton were the highest paid wages there because we just got our new contracts, you know, after after finishing third in the Premiership. Mm. And they weren't high payers anyway. So he called me and offered me a new contract, which is the same money, but another two years, which was strange. And then after that, the same situation, oh, by the way, just to let you know, Newcastle are coming for you. So I said to him then, you know, obviously... If you're t- if you're telling me that Newcastle interest, that means that you you don't want me to sign. That you're happy for me to go. So that's how it prospired, you know. And then I was that that then went on to the Newcastle situation. And then I um, think Chris Chris then left mm. him, left after just after I left. Yeah. But then yeah, it, it was a shame. But then you know every every team has to revolve. And Norwich, as you've said, they still follow the same tradition. You look at Norwich mm. now; mm-hmm. they go up, they go down. And they're they're happy to keep doing that, you know. Mm. It works for them, but mm. for a team that wants to establish itself and maybe improve, it's a difficult thing to do mm. when the clubs run like that. Mm. I bet they still don't let strangers come in and walk around the pitch um, mm. in the middle of the summer, though. I bet that's not happening anymore. But, yeah. <laughs> they let the, me the go in. Policy is the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet they do. I bet they do. <laughs> so, okay, just before you're on the verge of the Newcastle move, and I remember watching you a lot on TV at the time on Match of the Day and. BBC used to show the UEFA Cup games. Yeah. You had a mad celebration rule where you used to like twist your body like a kung fu karate move with another that, player. Yeah. What was that all about? Um, it was um, somebody's... Do you know, just stupid things in trainers sometimes. And you say, oh, we're going to do it this way, we're going to do it that way. And I think we saw something on Top of the Pops. It was weird. <laughs> One of the players saw something on Top of the Pops. And it was... Um, that song, I want to break free. Do we have, what's his name? Keep, the keep going. But, no, no, you get me Can't remember song, his name, mate. you're going to have to keep my, singing. My mates my might be watching this. My street cred's gone down the road. But anyway. Queen. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody, Queen. Yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he, he'd done a celebration at the end of a song, and I think he'd done that to the crowd. And for some reason, it was like, do you know what? If we score, let's do that. So we thought, oh, yeah, it's just going to be for one game. But it took off so much. We were doing it every game. And then at first it was just me, Chris, and one of the other players. And then the whole team started joining. with It just became mm. a traditional um, celebration for us. I even carried on doing it while I was at Newcastle and Tottenham. Mm. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, love yeah. It. So it just, it just out of the blue, it just came out of. Yeah. So prior to the deal going through, what did you know about Newcastle? It was cold. <laughs> Windy. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, on a serious note, I mean, I've played there 
um, before the Premiership. I can remember a couple of times me and Dale Gordon. And on a serious note, it was never, never, ever going to be in my thoughts to ever go there. Because as we know, traditionally back then, it is a different time. There was a lot of racism there. There wasn't, as I, as I knew it, there wasn't many cultures up there. It was, it was, you know, it was just what it was up north, you know. Back in them days, there was a lot of racism. So I was comfortable where I was. I mean, don't forget, even even being in a multicultural place in Italy, you still got it from Norwich. I still hear Norwich fans giving it to black players. So for me, back in them days, Newcastle would be the last place I would even thought about going. But as, as you know, times move on. I, I, I knew about Keegan being there. I knew about how well Andy Cole was doing. So it, it it was one of the things that because of the Kevin Keegan influence and Terry McDermott, Arthur Cox being there, you know, if I didn't speak to him, I'd at least go up there, then I would have, I'd have been kicking myself. Mm. So and Keegan's one of the best salesmen in the world, so it was yeah. it was an easy sell for him to get me up there. I'd love to hear about the first time you met him and how he sold the club to you. He sold it. He he actually sold it over the phone. Ironic, going back to the day that um that I got called into the chairman's office, um, Robert Chase's office, he obviously, they obviously were negotiating without me knowing because at the time I didn't have an agent or anything, see, so I would have been, I, I saw things in the papers about other clubs being interested in me but never really took it that serious because I was enjoying myself at, at Norwich. So when he sat me down in his office said about it, he then said, oh, well, Newcastle off, uh, made this offer, they're, you know, we're nearly there, we're 90% close, you know, what do you think about it? So I then said to him, well, I'll be happy to, to speak to him, you know, because he's Norwich made it obvious that they they're happy for me to go up there, which told me that they're happy to sell me, because he didn't have to mention it to me if 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 he wasn't going to sell me. So straight away, as soon as I left, went to leave the office, he said, "Oh, can I give Kevin King your number?" He went, "Yeah." Within two minutes, he's called me before I ever got my car, and then he's called me, had a conversation with me, convinced me to go straight to the airport. So that's how convincing he was. I went straight from Norwich, um, Carra Road, straight to Stanton Airport, got on a plane. Mm. Without no clothes, no nothing, <laughs> nothing. Naked. That's how convincing he is. He went, come That's on. Amazing. He was like, you're all right. We could buy you clothes. You're fine. Got me straight up there. Got me straight up Newcastle. Locked me in a hotel just in case there was another club interested in me. Locked me in a hotel, and I think I I agreed to sign the next morning. You know, it is brilliant. He's a brilliant salesman. Brilliant, brilliant. Like Dale Boy, he was brilliant. <laughs> but yeah. every, every, you know, everything he was saying, you could understand. He was excited because, you know, we had Sir John Hall there. Mm. You know, that, that it was a proper club. After he got, he got promoted, you could see where he was going. And, you know, you could see the progression he was trying to do. He was telling me about the player. Every player he told me he was going to bring to the club after me, he, he, he'd got. Mm. You know, because he had the backing. He had the backing. They trusted him. He was a football man. You know, he's a Newcastle legend. And obviously with the Andy Cole situation as well, you know, it, it, it was a perfect fit for me. Mm. When did you get the news that you'd be wearing the number five shirt? I chose it. <laughs> no, 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 I chose it. There was no it it because uh, Rob Lee was there at the time, and he joke he jokingly was telling me he was saying, "Look, you know what, you know what shirt do you want to wear?" And I said, "Well, I've always wore not always wore, but I said I like the seven. I've wore fourteen. I just like obviously wasn't superstitious. I just like wearing it. Didn't bother multiples really of seven it. ideally? Yeah, yeah. Well, but even I wore ten. Before they start putting names on the back, mm. so even though I would like to wear seven, I just said to, I said, well, what others available then? And he said to me, he was naming all these other numbers, and they were in their eighteens and twenties. 
and the only one available was five. So I said, you know what, I'll have five. Mm. You know, people people always look at that thing. Well, why do you want five? You know, in a traditional team, I'd be a centre half, number five. Yeah. yeah. Did you, you ever know? hear the interview with Zidane where he name checked you because he, he he said that you inspired him to wear the number five for Real Madrid? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Pilo. <laughs> Newcastle at this time famously trained at Durham Uni and yeah. a sharing facility with, you know, history students and yeah, yeah. you know, people from the local area wanting to play squash. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to hear what your first impression was of, of that. The first the first it it was weird, but at the same time, the good thing about it, we trained on the ho- on their hockey grass pitches, so imagine how flat it was. So then we had nice pitches first and foremost, but you just got used to it. You know, you walk through and people be paying Babbit and they'd be looking around saying, who's that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And next minute, they're following you into, into your changing rooms. So it was weird at first that the fans, to, I think just to get close to the players, they were just booking courts out all day. So you get you get these these people turning up playing badminton, but they didn't have any badminton gear on. They had jeans on, wallies on. So they just it was just an excuse because they knew that the players would be walking past there. Mm. But it, again, like, like I said, because of the way Keegan watered it, it we could have probably easily have probably got permission to seal it off in certain ways. But because of the way Keegan was and the way he probably knew how the fans were, he wanted to be what the fans to be around us and he asked the players and the players would say, Yeah, it's fine. It's fine, yeah. you know, it, it just it just made it more comfortable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That the fans could come down and you know, don't get me wrong, there was there was barriers and you know, there was a bit of respect there because there was times in a in a children, in the holidays when the kids were off, there was there's no exaggeration, there's fifteen hundred people there. Mm, it it yeah. was it was crazy. Yeah. But they the fans were respectful. They weren't coming up to you after the train they would allow you to go and get changed and get dressed then they'll have orderly queues when you come outside and you sign things it weren't like security guards pushing them out of the way or anything it was it was respect both ways yeah. and I enjoyed uh, yeah, I, I liked that side of it yeah we loved it we would come down in the school holidays there was, was more people there than Borough's average gate <laughs> watching, watching Keegan and Keegan would join in yeah Keegan he, he was a joker you know what he's like weren't he he's a joker he'd lose so much money because he just put bets on with us all the time. He'd try and get on a favourite five-a-side team and he'd end up losing. He'd pull his hamstring halfway through the game. And, you know, it, 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 was, it, was, it was like being at the theatre, you mm. know, it's for the fans. You imagine it there and he's laughing yeah. away. He sometimes used to bring a fan on to train with us. He, he's, you know, <laughs> yes. what more do you want? You know, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's if brilliant. ever any of your stuff went missing, then you can probably have a look at Ketch because he was there nicking mitre deltas from the, uh, the training ground he's admitted to that one before. <laughs> yeah. I wish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what was it like for you um, joining? It's the first time you've walked into a new dressing room, obviously, since you know your career was spent at Norwich. What was that like as an experience for you and, and you know, walking into, some, again, some big characters in that squad? Yeah, I'd, I, thought I'd be, I thought I'd be nervous, but once I made my mind up that I was going... I think it might be something to do with my, my heritage, the way my mum is, the way I am. I'm the sort of person I like to travel. So I, I'm not kind of scared of meet, meeting new challenges and stuff like that. So I think once I got my head around going to Newcastle, and obviously he sold the story to, to me about, you know, about integrating and stuff like that. The day, because don't forget, I think when I signed there, I wasn't eligible to pay for about a week, a week and a half, maybe two weeks, because I think they were cut there to, it was a cup game they had, so I was cup tied. So I think it helped me a lot because by then he was he was sending all the local Geordies up to up to my hotel to take me out. 
So most of, most of my first week there was, was on, on the juice. So it, it was easy. They would send Lee Clark up there. Robbie Elliott was up there. Steve Watson, the local Geordie boys. They'd pick me up, take me down to Big Market. And then, oh, wow. you know, the fat, if anyone knows, the Big Market is... is it, you have to be there to understand it. it it's, it's the craziest, most brilliant place I've ever been to. Because, again, it was... You could go down there as a player and I would get no hassle whatsoever because they're just happy to see the players down there. If anything, they they were like just coming over, buying your drinks all night and everything. You know, they're bringing, their, they're bringing their, their relatives over and saying to you, would you marry my sister? Would you marry my wife? And Honestly, it's crazy. They, they, were, they were mad. So for me, I think, I don't know what it's deliberate, for me being there that, Two weeks before I actually made my debut, it helped me to blend in with the lads. And plus, don't forget, I was training every day with them, you know, going socially out with them. So it was it was an easy progression for me. What were some of your favourite haunts? Julie's, Tuxedo Princess, Icon? I did I did actually get on that boat, you know, because I get seasick. <laughs> I get seasick, so I didn't actually get on there. It was just Julie's and Martha's. Yeah. Just to explain for the listeners, the Tuxedo Princess was a boat moored in the Tyne that was a nightclub with a revolving dance floor. Yeah. But so you rolled, didn't rolled. you didn't just have to, you didn't have to have the boat rocking. They thought they would have a revolving floor just to make it easy, just to make it even worse. So uh, yeah, as soon as I heard revolving, that that was I, I could I could see myself falling <laughs> over the edge, mate. So no, I, I stayed down the big market, big market quayside. Yeah, Keyside, yeah, brilliant. You know, so they were they were good days, good days, good days, good days. You, you, your Newcastle career started off. You, we lost the first two games, then went on a six-game unbeaten run where the team scored nineteen goals. You mm. must have been in dreamland as a you know attacking player who like to had speed and like to assist and score goals. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've just gone from a football club that was renowned for playing lovely football. And it was just a step up. It was, that's what I was saying about how easy for the transition for me. It was a step up, but no disrespect to to Norwich. The quality of the players have gone up a little bit. Don't forget we had Peter Beardsley there, you know, Andy Cole knocking the goals in. And all my job was that we had Scoop on the other wing, Scott Sellers, when I first came. And all our job up there was with mine, Scott, was just to supply Andy Cole and Peter Beardsley. It, you know, we had Rob Lee, you know, backing us up. It, it was it was dream world, you know. The football once we started, once we stopped conceding so many goals, and we we had a, a kind of a, a way of playing, you know, we 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 were flying, we were flying, you know. Every game again, we're back to to tactics. Keegan never came in the changes with a whiteboard or tactics board and said, "Look, Foxy, I want you to mark him right. Make sure he's a dangerous player." Never said a word. He used to come in and say, "Lads, if you play like you train, we'll win this game easy." That was his team talk every time. No matter who we played, he just said, just go out there, enjoy it. There was times I played where I used to get frustrated with myself. He used to be shouting on the sideline, if I don't see you smiling, I'll take you off. Hmm. Ridiculous wow. things like that. He wants you to enjoy the football. He obviously wants you to take it serious, but he knew that if you relaxed and enjoyed your football, the f- it would speak for itself. So, you know, when we was going on their runs, we just felt, um, um, you know, unbeatable. Mm. You mentioned Peter Beardsley there. Is it true that on the bus to games, he used to just eat crisps and chocolate? Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> litres of Coke. We talk about diets again. Coca-Cola. Litres of Coke. Yeah, that's all he done. You know, he, he's, his diet progressed to that. I don't know how he how he able to do that, but he's from the old school, isn't he? So, you know, I, I was around, I was, even with us, to be fair, we weren't, even at Newcastle, We the diets hadn't started kicking in until I got to uh, Tottenham. You know, all, all the special diets and stuff. So we was... 
our away trips was about Terry McDermott going to Tesco's and just getting loads of sandwiches. <laughs> you know, and we just get microwave dishes. So it was just microwave pigging off all all the way up and back. So amazing. Yeah, the darts would stop at a hotel and you know, you could have what you want to a certain extent, you know, steak, chips, beans, fry ups, whatever you wanted. Whatever suited <clears throat> the individual, you know. Superb. Can I just ask you about um one of my heroes is uh, Pavel Cernicek. I've got a load of his jerseys over yeah, my God bless right his soul, yeah. God rest him. Love Pavet. Any stories about Pav? No, he was too. He was too quiet. He's just too nice. He was a gentle giant. Luckily for me, when I um, when I ended up getting a house, I ended up living in Gossy. I was in Gosforth. Yeah. And he was only round the corner from me, so we we used to give each other lifts and all that. But he was just. You can't say a bad word about him. You can't, yeah. can you? He was such a nice, nice, genuine guy. And but then with that, he's he's. His work rate and his dedication to to football. Uh, he 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 took the goalkeeper to another level. He he used to thrash himself in training. You know he was he was built like a bodybuilder. You know you know he got as he got the older he got the better he got. You know because he he studied he studied the game. You know because don't forget when he first game he was probably in and out. It was him and Hoops. Yeah. Mike Hooper was in goal. Yeah. I don't come. Don't come. If Harps was getting the goal, he was a youngster. Harps. He was yeah. travelling with us. But so really, he took over Hoops' place. It took him. They were back and forth for a while. But because of his dedication and, and you know and his work rate, you know he got in that team and you know he's he's a great guy. Yeah, love it, love it. I, I mentioned at the start before we started recording that I, for my day job, I work at the uh, Evening Chronicle, and I wrote a piece. Uh, a couple of months ago about the 1994 Newcastle youth team interviewed a load of players from that era uh, told me some amazing stuff about Maiden Castle and training with Keegan and really they mixed in quite a lot with you the youth team yeah. but Keegan famously in 95 turned his back on, on youth and scrapped the reserve team um, entirely um, uh, can you remember that rule? Yeah I can remember that because he wasn't he, I think it's a mixture he wasn't too happy with he just wasn't happy with the setup. You know, being a youth player, because I mean, I remember there was quite a good few talented youth players, mm. and they ended up leaving the club and ended up yeah. playing at a decent level. Yeah. Uh, so, so the only one who, who probably made it through and played was Chris Holland. Chris Holland. Yeah. Well, I'll put a link to the the piece that I wrote in the in the description, so so listeners can read. But it was very interesting. Paul Brayson got into the first team. He was the yeah. only one yeah. who got into the first team from the from the group, um, and. Yeah, it was just a bit of a... a they, they won everything at youth and, and yeah. reserve level and never got a shot in the it was, first team. It, it was strange. Looking back at it, now you're right, it was strange because, like you said, we tra- they, they trained with us most of the time. You know, yeah. a lot of the youngsters used to come around my house because I had a pool table, so they used to come around and play pool around my house. They were brilliant guys, brilliant lads. Yeah. And they were yeah, talented yeah. lads as well. Yeah. So it, it was a trick they missed. You know, It probably got overlooked a lot because of the way the first team were playing. Yeah, it's gonna. Yeah. It's hard to get into Keegan's entertainers. Let's 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 be honest. Yeah. Funny you mentioned about the pool table because one of the players, Alan Poulton, he said yeah. that once you went swimming with you went swimming, uh, you took a lot of them swimming. Then they all went back to your house to play video games, yeah. and your missus turned up and she was like, "What's going on? Get <laughs> get out the yeah, house." Yeah, yeah, that, that Poulton. Yeah, because he was my apprentice, so he used to always come back all the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, I said I didn't mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, he loved Lovely, it. He said you were great. Yeah, yeah, I always had to look after them, you know what I mean? Because, again, it was such a family club. I was I was brought up that way of, you know, there's clubs, sometimes you hear clubs and the, and the youths are so separate from the first team that it's hard for them to gel in there. But we was all together, trained together, you know, we used to 
we should do stunts on the young lads and you know <laughs> bully them a little bit, you know, and do stuff. So it was great for us. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Oh, it was an amazing time. That that era in Newcastle is one of the the all time. But you couldn't get tickets for the games. I remember we used to watch the games. Me and my dad used to have to go to the cinema to watch the games in the Odeon. Yeah. You couldn't get tickets. And if my dad got a ticket for the Odeon, I was buzzing. I was like, yeah, yeah. You watch the game in the Odeon. Yeah. That's how, you couldn't get near the ground. It was a, a really special time. It was, it was great watching you. I, I could do the whole podcast on Newcastle. We're moving on. Come on. We should probably move on to Spurs because yeah. this is about the 96, 97 season, basically. How yeah. did how did you, the move to Spurs come about? I mean, did you see signs that you'd be moving on from Newcastle because you obviously weren't there for that long? Was it Ginola walking through the door or how did it all happen? No, no I mean, it was the same thing like we said, like I said, Norwich, we, I was playing well. I think I came off the season before, I think I scored about 12 goals. So we got into the new season and then obviously with I was playing. Andy, Cole, I think it was when Andy Cole, Andy Cole then left and then Keith Gillespie came in. Still didn't feel, I didn't feel threatened at all. Obviously we had David there. I think Scott Sellers had left. So it was us three vying for two places. So I I believe in my ability. And I knew that if, you know, technically I was probably up there, I, I, I knew I, I could hold myself down in a team. So that wasn't the case that I was, you know, frightened about competition because it's all part and parcel of it, you know. I, I, I tend to know that. But obviously, again, hearing rumours, it was in the papers all the time. I had press coming up to me and saying that Tottenham were in negotiations. So... Instead of this time, someone calling me, I went to Kevin uh, Keegan and I asked him, I said, well, what's going on with this thing? And he blatantly just come out and said it. He said, well, they're interested in you. Um, it's up to you whether you want to leave or not. It was found it a little bit harsh, but then it it was still down to me. I could have easily, I was still had two years left of my contract. I could have easily said, no, I'm going to stay and fight for my place. But I, I'm, a, I'm a sort of player who likes to be feel that I'm wanted. Mm. You know, it weren't a case where my form had dipped or I wasn't playing well. It was just a case where I think Keegan had looked at it like he always does and it, and he's entitled to do that. And he probably looked at it and thought, I can't make my mind up which player to play. If mm. he'd have come up to me and said, you know, the place is yours, all you got to do perform, I'd have been there. You know, mm. could I believe in my ability? Mm. I, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm quite a confident person. So, But it, it was almost like, it almost kind of reminded me of the Norris situation and I started mm. to get a little bit... Doubtful about it, so I just said, "Well, if that's the case, then, then, you know, if if I'm not in your plans, then I would like to go speak to um, Tottenham." Mm-hmm. That didn't happen straight away. He just said to me, "Look, they're not agreed to fee." He said, "But while you're here, I want you to play." He said, "It might not happen." So I left the office thinking it weren't going to happen because the way he was talking about it, it weren't agreed. And then forty hours later, the fee was agreed, and I was travelling down to Tottenham. Mm. You know, and again, you know, it was never a move that I really wanted to happen it was a case that I just felt that I was put in a situation that it was almost like he was encouraging us to go to to leave without actually saying it because when you look at it as soon as I left he brought a spreeler in so maybe he was thinking about that <laughs> you don't know you yeah. know you know because that's that's the way the market goes he got Andy Cole left he breached Keith Gillespie in mm. so you have to understand you know there's there's got to be some sacrifices made and unfortunately it was it was it was me at that time So you've gone to Spurs, Jerry Francis is the manager, so naturally the first question is, who's Barnett did you prefer, Keegan's or Francis's? 
Oh, Keegan's all day. Cross, <laughs> yes. He had some hedgehoggy, spiky kind of thing going on. It was the old was one. It? It, yeah, he had the spike and the perm, didn't he? The, the Chrissy Waddle. He had the Waddle thing going on, didn't he? I went, yeah. I went into that. By the time I see it, it was a little bit frizzy as well, so there's no problem. Could, could you not have a word with him? Because he, he's kept. He may still have it today. No, I don't know. I don't, he might just have the side bits. You know, a lot of people try to keep it, don't they? They, they always try to hold on to the hair. I, I, I would like to think, but I've got a feeling if I saw him now, he'll still have a, a little bit of curl on the sides or the sideburns. Yeah, he's been on Sky Sports News a few times. He's still got a bit. He's still oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, he tries to. Yeah, it's just a, it's a sweep. He just have the sweep. He'll have the sweep or the one going backwards. <laughs> Did you um, meet Alan Sugar before you signed? Because we we interviewed Michael Bridges. And he met Alan Sugar before signing and it actually put him off the deal and he, he did a U-turn on, on Tottenham. I wondered if you had any encounters with him. No, he was he was, he, he was involved in it. I can't remember to what extent. But he'd, he'd been on the phone. He'd been on the phone to me. He was on the phone when I was at Tottenham having a medical. The medical went really quick. And I think while I was with a doctor, he phoned up. You know, said, welcome to the club, blah, blah, blah. And then um, when I went to the stadium to get unveiled, he turned up. But it was just, it was a weird meeting. It weren't like excitement. It was like, you know, it's almost like when you was meeting Roy. You know, he turned up and he, and he was, he didn't, it, the conversation didn't flow. It was like, welcome to the club. That was it. Mm. You know, mm. there's no, you know, really excited to have you here, blah, 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 like I was at any other club. But no, that, that's just, a, you know, that was just the way the meeting went, you know, maybe he was in a hurry. But yeah, it, um, that, that went okay. Mm. And this time around, you got the number seven shirt. I wasn't sure if you demanded it and maybe put it in your contract or something this time around. I was quite lucky this time because um, I think Nick Barbie had got the Middlesbrough yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. He was homesick. So I, he, that was his shirt. So I took his shirt. So I was, I was quite fortunate there that mm. that, Have, that was available. Because obviously when Gaza signed for Spurs, famously he was negotiating for cars and sunbeds for his, his sister and all that sort of stuff. Have you ever come across any players who've had funny little quirky things in their contracts? Usually, usually that was a that was a norm thing to negotiate. I mean, I can remember back in it when I was even a youngster youth team. I remember the first player we heard getting that was um, Neil Ruddick. I think Neil Ruddick had left Millwall as a youngster, and we heard that you know to get him to leave Millwall as a youngster, they bought the family a house and all that kind of thing. They do that as part of negotiation. It's normal, but cars. I had two cars at Newcastle from we had um, Rovers. <laughs> Which I gave one to my brother and I think the other one to my mate. Never hardly drove them. Did they give it back? No. Mummy <laughs> <laughs> mates crash one as well. Mummy mates crash one as well. But yeah, so so that was part of it. I think it, I think most most football clubs had ties with a with, with a car manufacturer, so it was just leased out to the players, and mm-hmm. you know you had you, you had your pictures taken with the cars every season. You know, then you go get your Porsche. Name on the side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 it was. It was like, but yeah, that, that that was normal to, you know, some people said, no, I don't want a car, you know, put the money towards my mum's house or, you know, my sister and brother. So yeah, it was just, that's just all, that's up to you what you do with, with, with your signing on fees or your money. Mm. Oh, sim- simpler times. Chuck a rover in and <laughs> call it a deal. Chuck a rover in, yeah. <laughs> in my case, it take me down to Big Market do cars. Yeah, so Big Market. Yeah. <laughs> just a three-course dinner at Uno's and I'll sign the deal. Ah, top, top. Yeah. 
you're at Spurs then for the third time in your career you're at a, a club in European competition mm. can you remember though that it was a it was a controversy a controversy with Spurs in Europe that summer in the Intertoto Cup do you recall that one no I can't recall too much so apparently we've looked back they fielded reserve and loan players in the first ever Intertoto Cup Alan Pardew even played for Spurs he was he was uh, loaned in Wimbledon did the same and it led to England being given one less place in Europe the following season. Everton finished sixth that season, didn't qualify for Europe. There was only five teams in Europe in total that season. So the following season there were seven. So Everton fans must have been hating Spurs and Wimbledon for <laughs> deliberately crashing out the end of total. You don't, you don't remember that one? No, no. I can't. That's the only... I can't remember that at all. I can remember it's really up, but I can't remember the circumstances of it. Don't remember Pardew? <laughs> no. Okay, no. no. no not play, not play, play with me at Tottenham. He was. He would have been in and around during no, this season. I don't think he actually played in no, the Premier League or anything. No, no. He, it was into Toto. Yeah, he played a, a few games. Yeah, yeah, Toto. no. That's probably why I didn't see him. But he just played in the foreign games. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't see him. So obviously, you moved to Spurs. Did you then live in London? And what what was that like for your lifestyle moving down there? No, I, I moved straight back to Ipswich. <laughs> it was about an hour and a bit drive. <laughs> uh, like I said to you, I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a home guy. I'm quite a humble guy. Even when I was at Newcastle, I travelled home most weekends. I, I I like my family comforts. I've got the same people that I had when I was twelve, you know, ten years old. I've got the same mates from then. I've never. I'm not that sort of person who goes from these different circles and stuff like that. So, for me, as soon as it got close home, it was good for my family because my wife at the time, we, um, she's from Ipswich. We had uh, two kids, I think, from. Obviously, born in Ipswich, so for us it was a it was a win for us. But then we kind of moved a little bit up the road. We moved to Colchester, which is about half an hour from Ipswich. So yeah, I, I was never going to live in London because the thing the thing about it, I'm not I'm not that into all that limelight stuff and going to all these openings and you know here or there. And, and London's like that. You can easily you can easily you you hear that term they say you get caught in the bright lights of London. So which means that. You could get caught up in that lifestyle of going out and socialising too much and take your eye off the ball a little bit. So um, my, my mate, Jason Zell, ironic, was living in London, um, not 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 far outskirts of London. And I, I and he, he showed me where he lived and all that. And I, I considered it because I was standing in a hotel just around the corner for him. But then I had a week with the players and I thought, nah, this, I, I'd rather just drive in. It's only an hour and a half to get yeah. from from Ipswich. Uh, we were trying to... Essex Chigwell and to get to the stadium was our same hour and a half so for me I just thought no you know it's good for my family to be mm. home hop it's in the rover drive no, no, I changed by then I've no, upgraded I'm upgraded <laughs> yeah the big deal I, I upgraded by then so I was alright I think Sierra. I had a, yeah. yeah yeah I had a fear I had a fear <laughs> so yeah so I was alright I, I could afford the petrol and the service for the car in all seriousness, you've you, you gone there for £4.25 million. You almost doubled your fee for, for the Newcastle yeah. played, which was big in the, in the 90s. Yeah. Um, were you walking in with a bit of confidence? You know, Were you a, a big signing? It must have had a bit of a spring in your step. Yeah, I, I obviously knew the fee, but then it was the same when I went to Newcastle. I was highest fee for a short space of time until I think Peacock came in. Mm. So I don't, look at, I don't look at the fee, really. I just try and... I always just looked at the players and don't forget I'd gone from every time I'd gone up I felt God's sake I'm now stepping into another team that's got good players you know you've got Teddy Sherrill Gary Mabbott Darren Anderson was there 
Colin Calder was there. So um, Ian Walker, who got we well, we just went through the shinies, didn't we? And I forgot most of them. But we <laughs> then we we um we had a team there that I looked at. I thought, do you know what? You know, we've we've got a decent team. So I was, I was more excited about meeting the players. You know, obviously you hear about Teddy because I played against him and I knew he's a fantastic player. I played against Sol Campbell, so. For me to play with him, it's just another step up for me, you know, with with the same quality of players. Um, difference was to training. We trained. The training wasn't the best, i.e. the training area. We used to train at a high. You know, we said about Durham being a nice flat surface. Well, it was a complete opposite. It was a. I can't swear, can I? It mm. was a. It was a. It was a dog dog shit park. One of the ones yeah. where you where you yeah. trained and then someone walks through where you trained with a dog. You know, one of them was that place called Mill Hill, which is off the I can't remember, uh, 406. So, but that was the only downside to it. The trade quality, you couldn't really get the quality going because it was just like a boggy, muddy pitch. It wasn't the best area, you know. We didn't really go to our own training ground until a couple of seasons later. Mm. So you've, had, you've been at Spurs a couple of years, doing well. What goes through your mind... When you see Ginola walk through the door for the second time in your career, I'll let me off again. Yeah, I'll let me off again. Just, uh, just, and to be fair, we're great mates. So when he saw me, obviously he's coming up to me, hugging me, and I'm hugging him through gritted teeth. I'm like, oh, not again, not again. Do you know what I mean? Because the the strange thing about that, though, I don't know about you, I never would could see him leaving Newcastle. Yeah. there was no reason I could think that he was going to leave Newcastle. There wasn't. It's not as if they brought a like my situation. They brought a like for like player in. You know, they, with me, they brought Keith Gillespie in. So you could understand and think, well, one of us going to have to leave sooner or later, or they're going to have to, you know, mix up the teams. David was out on his own. He was the only one who's played left side really. Scott Sellers, I think, had just left there. So it was just that of me and Keith. So for him, it was either. I think he might. He might. I think he might have got tucked up. He might have got overtures. That something was happened. I know his form might have dipped a little bit, but David was still a a, yeah. a top top player. Mm-hmm. So for that move to go through, I was as shocked as everybody. But obviously pleased, pleased he was here because you know for us it you know we see what he what he done when he come to Tottenham. Mm. I bet you. Um... Ian Walker had his nose put out of joint a little bit. Used to spending all that time in front of the mirror, slicking his hair back. Yeah, in walks Shinola, yeah, yeah. Dominguez, Nicola Berti turns up. Oh, yeah, we we had we had a, we had a bit of a bit of a good looking team, team as well. To be fair, <laughs> and the thing about it, he just he just got his endorsement from L'Oreal. Yeah, you know, oh. as well. So his first couple of days in, he, he you know to make it, he brought crates of shampoo and conditioner in and. <laughs> you know, he's in the mirror, you know, giving all the products, all the gels, and all that. So did you give it a go? A, what this? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that afro. We uh, black people use different products, mate. We use all that greasy, sheeny stuff, mate. Our stuff was that soul glow. We had all that soul glow stuff, mate. That products would have worked on my head and dried it out. But yeah, it, 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 like I said, him turning up was brilliant, and you know he brought some gifts for us. So yeah, I obviously knew of him. So I, I was ecstatic that he was here. Yeah. Let's talk about um, Christian Gross, who's an iconic 90s manager for probably the wrong reasons. He replaced Jerry Francis in November 97. I think Tottenham were maybe trying to do the Arsene Wenger thing. Had you heard of him? Because he seemed to be a complete unknown. He travelled to the press conference famously with a train on the the train. No one recognised him. That's what they can remember for. I mean, 
no, nobody knew, but nobody knew about Arsene Wenger, did they? So you yeah. you kind of then thought, well, you know, you you heard of was it what what team was he in? Is he in Switzerland? Grasshoppers. Grasshoppers. So we 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 obviously obviously you got to research and see about it, and you could see he was like he had a bit of a German kind of finisher. He was a hard taskmaster, you know, and you could see that. So him coming in, everyone was open to it. You know, I was open to it because I think about that time when he came in. I would. It was it was after Jerry, and I think it it lost the team by then. You know, the team was all over the place. Jerry Jerry was not himself. He was picking random teams. You know, things. You know, he was picking players out of place. There was times he was playing five defenders in a, in the same team, and you know, it it, it was just it it just ended badly in that sort of start. So then, obviously, you know, you get scapegoats and. The fans ain't happy, so it wasn't a good time. We was floating like Newcastle. We was down to that bottom half. And then um, Christian Gross came in. And, you know, obviously you're sceptical. I felt sorry for him at first because he'd come in and he was he was trying to win the players over. You could see certainly some of the senior players were, were kind of, look, you know, you could tell they were looking at it thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure about you. He was being judged before he actually mm. had a go. And I think that was that was a perception about everyone, unfortunately. I think everyone was judging him unfairly because his training methods were, like asked me, they were really good. Hmm. I, I liked his training methods, you know. I'm not saying it because, you know, I was in the team when he was there. He, 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 he was a generally a good coach, mm-hmm. you know, put good ideas on. But I just think no one could get over the fact that no one knew him that well. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people gave, 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 it, gave him credit. Mm-hmm. For the work he'd, he'd done at Grasshoppers, it's just it it just wasn't a good fit. But I had nothing 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 bad to say about him, you know, because it, it's you know as everyone knows now, you can see how Tottenham top was a difficult job to take on. Mm. I think Sugar Alan Sugar went on later to blame the media for destroying his reputation before he even got started. So. Yeah, like like I said, I, I, I think he's right to a certain extent because mm. you know they mocked him, you mm. know, the trade with the ticket, you know, I right, have a laugh about it, but. That was his legacy. Mm. Every time we talk about it, that's the first we brought up. Oh, he got on the train. He was just trying to what he was trying to prove to people was saying to people, you know, I'm not I'm not a flash person. I'll I get on the tube to come to work. Mm-hmm. You know? But then they took out contents and straight away the presser on it and they mocked him too much about it. I yeah. I I'm agreeing with, with Alice Sugar. I've, yeah. I've, I think he was on a hider to nothing, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And not only that, you'd sold Teddy Sheringham before he arrived. Um, yeah, but Klinsman did come back for a second stint. What was what was he like? That was a weird one as well because he'd come back off. By what I heard, he'd come back with the chance of taking over, being a coach, being mm. part of the first team set up. So the whispers we heard when he was coming in was like, "Yep, yep." You know, Sugar's obviously asked him back, so he he. I wouldn't have thought Sugar's going to say to him, "Oh, just come back and play." There was an incentive there, so the rumours going around by the players and all that was were sad that he was going to be on standby just in case Christian went and or and I think Christian got that because there were they were there was a bit of tension between them both, so maybe you know you'd have to ask them both. But by what I could see and hear, they, they, there was something going on there that suggested that he was brought in because they they do that a lot of clubs. They'll say, look, you know, because at the time Clues was probably. Had a few seasons left in him. That was his last season. So, he retired yeah, after that. So, so him, it was an ideal situation to learn under a coach and maybe stay on at Tottenham. Mm. It'd have been a win-win. But there was animosity. There was just, there was just, it was just not, it was not blended well between them two. Even though we, you know, we played and scored and we, you know, we got ourselves out of that sticky position. 
you know, it, it, I think in the end, I think it, it, obviously they both parted, parted to the club, so it, it, it didn't work out the way it was planned to work out, I think. Yeah, it certainly wasn't as electric as his first stint at no. White Hart Lane, which was amazing. Um, so Christian left, and then another big, iconic 90s manager came in, George Graham, controversially famous Arsenal manager, came in. How did you find him? The polar opposite to someone like Keegan, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't like me. Oh, did <laughs> I weren't his type of player. No, I wouldn't say he didn't like me. It's, it's not fair to say that. I weren't his type of player. I knew it straight away. I knew it straight away. As soon as we came in, don't, uh, fair play. He played me in a few games. And I played quite a lot of the games. But I think because of the squad we had left, there was no choice. You know, you could, you, you, know, you could tell when a manager's, you know, into you or not into you. So I played. I still played. And the disappointment for me that I'll always that I'll always remind me of it was that we played um, the 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 cup that we won. Uh, I can't remember the cup they changed the cups names. So the Worthington Cup. cup the Worthington Cup that we played in. I played every game of every minute. I played in the semi final. Then in the final, he dropped me out the whole squad. Oh. So it left a bit of a bitter taste. Of, you know, a, a bit of a bitter taste. And then they said to me, "Have a picture at the end and all that." But you know, and still didn't even offer me a medal. Or anything, mm. oh. so, so for me, that's always left a bit of taste in my mouth. That yeah. when people mention George Graham, I don't really like talking about it too much. Because, even though, don't get me wrong, player wise, but it ended badly for me there because because of that situation. Mm-hmm. Why has he dropped you for the cup final? Don't know. Not even in the squad. Don't know. No, no. And up until that time, you could see, you know, he's dragged me off all the time. It was just a case, I, I you know. He's one of the managers you can't talk you can't talk to in that sort of way either. Keegan would have come up to him and explained it to me. You know, you might not accept it, but at least you get you know. Like I said, I've been quite fortunate that the managers I've been around were were players were managers who talk to you, put their arm around you. I need that. George Graham totally different, mm. totally different. You know, he just puts your team out there. He just expects you to do your job. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason why David was successful there is because David was too good to be dropped. You know, same kind of winger played played great football, but you know he he almost was un undroppable. You know, even though George, you could tell George go at first weren't his top of player because obviously David did work back, did do all the things that George Graham liked to have in his team. You know, his mm. team was like a workman team, but um, yeah, it, it is what it is. But like I said, it didn't end too well. Yeah, it's funny you say that because one of the sources we refer to when we're doing research for the interviews is, is Wikipedia, which famously is never wrong. Um, <laughs> it says it says Fox found it difficult to settle at White Hart Lane. Constantly been linked with moves away from Spurs. It, does that feel right to you? Did, were you unsettled? I worked up. No, I, I was only unsettled after after Jer- Jerry went. I think I, I had three three good seasons, three seasons there, constantly in the team. It just coincided with um, the Teddy sharing thing leaving. It just felt like it always seems to happen to me every time I was at a club. <laughs> we'll get one of our iconic players going, mm. and then we had the Sol Campbell saga. Yeah, yeah. So you're losing, you're losing your, 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 most of your backbone of your team, mm-hmm. the ones who scoring your goals, and then Darren Anderson obviously with with his fitness problems. So the team went from being a team that I thought, God, we go places to it just got dismantled again. Yeah. So yeah. you are going to be a bit despondent, mm-hmm. you know, because the, the 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 standard and the quality of the team has, has dropped significantly. Mm-hmm. So it weren't. It worked. Okay. Yeah, of course I'm going to get linked with teams. I, I I knew there was teams who were interested in me all the time, but then. I was happy. It sounds strange, but I spent that's a set, that's the second club I spent the most time at. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I I enjoyed my time there. It was just that 
it was just when the football weren't great, there was, it just seemed like there was no change in style that we were playing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think Jerry, like I told, like I've, I've, I've said earlier, Jerry, I think Jerry f- found it hard towards the end, and there was no co- connection with the team. The team just disbanded, and players were just doing what they wanted on the pitch, and there was, there was just no team shape. And then that obviously you, you, as Christian Gross has come, he's taken over a dismantled squad. So where you know where do you go from there? It needed investment. It needed players coming in need to be revamped again so of course I'm going to get linked because I was you know I was I was a, one of the I'd say I wouldn't say the best player one of the better players there but no it, you know I'm always getting linked but you get linked as a player so it didn't affect me at all mm. I'm reading between the lines here you, you sound like a bit of a Balotelli a bit of a <laughs> <laughs> why me <laughs> well, let, I thought you could say let fireworks up in your house <laughs> <laughs> I just tell he rules a rules a family man. I'm just kidding. His, yeah, I'm just kidding. No, so no, no. you moved on to to West Brom after that, and Gary Megson was in charge. You obviously you'd played with at, at Norwich. Was that part of the the draw to go there that you knew Gary? Yeah, um, I had a, I had a couple I had a few choices. Um, Sam Allardyce was at Bolton, then he'd called me up, um, and then I was like, oh, do I really want to go back up north again? Do I think I was coming thirty? Thirty years old, something, and I just felt I started to get kind of fell out of love a little bit with football, and I just felt because I I went through two seasons in that team playing reserve football, and I've gone from playing all the time to you know George Graham coming in and not being in the team, and I just I just didn't I was really honestly just thinking of just retiring, Mm. so um, I, I I obviously had the Bolton interest, Samuel Dice, and a friend of mine, strangely enough, Lee Power phoned up from on behalf of Bolton was saying to me, you know, he wants to go over. So I agreed to meet Lee, my mate Lee in a hotel up north. And then Gary Megson phoned up, said to me, oh, you know, come down here. I heard that, you know, Bolton want you down there. So I said to Lee, no, I'm going to go speak to Gary because I know Gary from West Bromwich. Again, he, he sold me the, the project of what the team were going to do. He told me about Lee Hugh, mm. Hughes and Jason Roberts. Mm great goal scorers and he told me he didn't want me to play on a wide he wanted me to play behind the front two didn't want me to get back it was an ideal situation and also <laughs> he said to me he'd go he want me to do some of the coach he, if I want to do the coaching or if I want to stay on he'd let me go home as many days as I want in a week so he knew about me so it, it wasn't a case where I was going to go to another club and kind of work, work through it again you know I knew I knew about the West Brom situation it had been it's an easier easier fit for me because I knew Gary Megson so well from at Norwich so you know and again he sold it to me and I I, I, run, I could have earned more money going to Bolton but because I just thought you know what he knows me it, it, it's probably be better for me expectation wise to go to there and, and I went there and it, it turned out a, a, a good choice yeah a couple of successful seasons we got Brom promoted lost. yeah, yeah. You, got, you lost the playoffs in oh. 2000, 2001, and then you were promoted the following year. Yeah, which was your which was your last before retiring. Yeah, yeah. So we got promoted like and again. That was it was great for me. That was a great time for me to stop because I'd been cap- me and Derek McKinnis were both captain and vice captain. So I got on in the last game. I think we played Palace to get promoted. Got me on for the last because I knew I weren't going to play all the games. Uh, you know, I was realistic enough. You know, I enjoyed my time there. So it was a great time for me to, to stop there. I was so grateful for Gary Megson, you mm-hmm. know, because, again, I finished on a, on a nice high. And, and yeah. also, the thing about it, I was a 
West Brom, I forgot to say, we got West Bromwich Albion fans, so I met my idol Regis as well, Cyril Regis. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So I was a West Brom fan, you know, as well back there. So it, it, was, a, it was a great way to finish my career. Mm. Where does, I'd be interested to know, where does that rank in terms of getting promoted with West Brom in terms of your career achievements? That's the only achievement. <laughs> if let's be honest with you. Oh, come on. Let's be, no, no. Do the top ta- one. If we're talking, I mean, if we're talking about winning things, that's the only thing. I mean, achi- I know what you're saying. Achievement-wise, I mean, f- first, f- um, my first team appearance at seventeen is one. Playing for England, B was two. Um, playing in Europe. Was probably up there for I think the biggest one, the older you get, the more was play, was strange enough. I got to play for my mum's motherland, Montserrat. Mm. Yes, and I've got a question about that. For me to go there, do you know mm. what I mean? They they were like a they were like a pub team. Yeah. But I but for me to go to my mum's motherland, and it, there was just something historic and, and and spiritual about it. You know it. It, it 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 was an emotional time for me, you know. I'd, could I'd retire? I'd already retired by then, yeah. so I come out of retirement to play, coach them, yeah. manage them, and also play a few games. I mean, it, yeah. it, it was it was a dream. It was a dream for me, you know. I mean, the last two things that's happened towards the end of career, being with West Brom and Gary Bates, get pro and and play with Montserrat was. It couldn't think of a better way to finish. I think the. For listeners, the timeline is important here, and I'm not entirely sure about it, but it reads like you've been given the head coach job at Montserrat, and then you've given yeah. yourself a cap. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, put, you, you put yourself on throw-ins, corners, penalties. Yeah, 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 yeah. No one else would take it. I was the only bravest one there. you got to remember, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a, an idea what the team was like. We had a prison guard who was in the team. We had a fireman. We had um, a couple of people who, who were teachers. It was, it was, when I say pub team, it was a pub team. No disrespect to them, that was what it is. So my, so for them to get me over there, when I went over the first day, it was a carnival. They couldn't believe it. They're actually an ex-professional player. Yeah, yeah. Well, professionals still at the time to go and over there, help them out. I mean, it, 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 it was hard. I mean, the football-wise, not hard, but the, the politics. Because mm. don't forget, as it, as it uh, perspired, don't forget, it, it was all that corruption going around then. This that perspired about the Seth Blatter mm. and all them mm. kind of things. The Caribbean were all part of that. Mm. So you don't get you don't get paid there. You know, it, all things were backwards. You know, we I took we went to a um a gold cup which is a Caribbean team's playing like in our Euros. We went there, we didn't even have a physio. You know, we did silly things, you know, silly little things like so I just thought I'd better step aside because I didn't want to tarnish my reputation or mm. I didn't want to put my mum's motherland down, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it was, it was, it was, it was good. Yeah. But then my title was, yeah, it, it was one of them. Was one day I was, I was manager. Then I was a player. <laughs> then I was a head coach. But mm. then I did have a, a director of football there, a, um, a guy called Scott Cooper, was who works around the Caribbean, and he was brilliant for me. Mm. But like we said, you only can work with what you've got. And a lot of these, don't, don't forget, Montserrat only has. Five thousand people on the island, mm. so to pick a team from that is difficult. You should have you should have picked so, you should have picked a physio, then you'd have had one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, but my job was to was to was to was to stay there for a year, work out, come back over here, and find people with heritage, mm. which mm. is what I started doing. But then all that politics started coming into it, and the mm. corruption come into it, and I I didn't feel comfortable with it. You know, I was I was asking managers to trust me taking their players to an uh, international game. 
and we was get to airport and the tickets weren't even paid for. Oh. Simple things like that. And then I was getting over there. We were we weren't even being put in a host, uh, um, a hotel. We were being put in a hostel. Oh my god! You know, like like we like we was doing a camping trip or something. You know, <laughs> we had to bring our own food. I understand that money weren't tight, but then you kind of then start hearing that all the funds were going to the the president of 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 our football association, Montserrat. He he had, he had nine houses on the island. He had his kids were all going to college. Mm. And you think, well, how come he all his family all right? Mm. But he, but he, all he all he was he was he was like the director of 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 Monster. It was just all dodgy, and I didn't. Mm. I I complained about it, but they didn't listen to me. So I just went, you know what? I'll I'll step yeah. aside with my with my one cap for Monster. Yeah, yeah. Were you rule then the, the world's first player manager international manager? I don't know. I could be. I never looked at. It. I might I might put that. I put on my CV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be the first manager yeah. to give himself a cap. Yeah, <laughs> I scored. That's enough, isn't it? Well, you was, it, you was it a penalty? Please say it was a penalty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I shanked it. Yeah, I shanked it. But I scored against a postman, probably, anyway. So it, it don't count, does it? But yeah, so it was all good. It's all good way to yeah, finish. Fantastic. So what's, what, what's life like now, then, Rule? What are you up to these days? Um, I've, since I retired, I've done the usual thing. I have travelled around for the first four years of my life, got bored. Bought a restaurant, hated that, got rid of that. <laughs> and then um, I was just, ironically, like I said, where I'm, I'm a home guy, I moved back down to my original area where, where I'm from, started coaching the actual football team and running that club and being chairman of a club called Witten United Football Club, which is in Ipswich. Yeah. Yeah. So I started running that club, being chairman there, then I was manager there, then I played there. It's all, it's all starting to hear the same story, you know. So <laughs> I, I started playing player manager at the club. Um, ended up stepping down just to be ambassador and now I'm still ambassador but I run fitness clinics down there now so I do um, sports conditioning for players and then I also run my own personal boot camp down there where people turn up three times a week so I can tell them what to do and fresh them mm, make them sick up and I send them home so yeah, yeah so I'm into my fitness and I'm now ironically since lockdown I've now devised some country walks for people with mental health um, work with the council so people with health problems I work with the doctors get referred to me and I take them on walks we have chats and I, that ironically I love that I'm really loving it mm. so yeah so that's up and go so I'm keeping myself quite busy with oh, that brilliant. with the three things I'm doing yeah. yeah sounds amazing good on you brilliant yeah, fair play yeah loving it The last question is, we are searching for shinies. We want to know who your shiny player is. So, I don't know if you ever collected the stickers when you were a kid. The shiny sticker was the best one. Who's the best player you've ever played with or against? As, uh, in, uh, in uh, that era for the sticker book. Any Anyone that you encountered in your career? Played against. Hardest player I played against would probably be Stuart Pearce or Dennis yeah. Irwin at, at Man United. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Them two are the hardest players I've ever played against. One, f- both for two different reasons. Um, Stuart Pearce for obvious reasons. He's a psycho and a bully and he just kick hell out of you every time. <laughs> so he's intimidated as well. But Dennis Irwin, never really see him slide tackle anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, read the game well, kicked both, kicked both feet, was hard to get by and scored goals at the other end. So, you know, them two players were probably the hardest players I've played against. They'd be shinies, I think. Nice one. Thank what about you. what about player you played with? Who's the best you've played with? 
it's, I always get asked is they're so difficult because it, I've been in different clubs and I respect the players I've been because each player's probably helped me get better all the time. You know, I could go from Norwich, I had Ian Crook, was a, he, when we was in Europe, he was a great player, you know, being a winger, I used to just run in and put it on a plate for me. So, Ian Crook, Norwich, I would say, Chris Sutton also in that era, me and Sutton clicked off, it's probably why we both got our moves because of it. Um, Newcastle, the obvious, Peter Beersley, Andy Cole. Mm. And then when I went Tottenham, you know, I've got, you got Teddy Sherrill, Sol Campbell, Darren Anderton, so, unfortunately, I can't give one. They're just groups of players who, who, who did help me progress as a player. But mm. if I have to pick one, if you're being forced to, that I could probably always say, do you know what? He helped me at the right... He was there at the right time. Probably be Peter Beardsley. Even though I was yeah. only there for a season and a half. Yeah. Mate, what a player. Mm. What a magician. Yeah. But also, unselfish. And, you know, it helps you in the game. You know, you get a lot of players that, you know, because they're so focused on themselves, they want to score goals, score goals, score goals. Or, you know, or worry about their stats. But he was about the team. And also, he he just managed to score brilliant goals as well. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, Peter Beersley. Wow. The best player, the worst diet. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. tell you what, just shows, isn't it? Andy Sinton is going to be fuming with you. No, he's not, because <laughs> you'll edit this. And it so it's twice you've snubbed him. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine he'll be alright I, I won't see him for a while I don't go to Tottenham reunions <laughs> oh Rule it's been great I appreciate um, you doing this tonight really loved it no thank you thank you lads it's been a ple- good chat it's been a good chat there we are then unbelievable to have Montserrat Rule Fox on our little 90 sticker book podcast um, I thought I did well to keep the Newcastle questions down to just 50% of the show but what an episode the moment that you asked him if winning the playoffs for West Brom was his greatest achievement and he replied saying it was the only achievement yeah. that will uh, stay with me forever I think <laughs> yeah it was quite sad that point wasn't it um, I have to say I was staggered when I saw that he became manager of Montserrat before he'd played for them mm. I mean, that surely has never happened before at the international level. I mean, the 90s was rife with player managers, so it wouldn't be out of place back then on the domestic scale, i.e. Brian Robson at Borough, no less. But on the international scene, it's incredible. Yeah. Got, gets the job, gives himself a cap. Mm-hmm. Well played. Well, but has there ever been a, another international player manager? Uh, that's surely never happened before. Um, well, listeners, there's one for you. Mm. Yes, get in touch with us, listeners. Let us know you're out there. I feel like we're missing an obvious one there, but but maybe not. But let's let's try and turn Rule Fox into a quiz question. Mm. Richie, at this point, I think I need to come clean. Um, I've got a confession to make. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for this? Go on. Um, I've been interviewing 90s footballers without you. Excuse me? Three. There's been three. You're joking me. No. In fact, one you know. Quite well. Okay. I'm... Keith Gillespie. You've done Gillespie again? Yeah. <laughs> Interviewed Gillespie. Interviewed Lee Clark. Okay, well I can live with that because he's not in the sticker book. Interviewed Warren Barton. You haven't? I have. That's three I've done. Okay. When you say you interviewed them... I should explain. Go on. Give me the premise. It's, it's a work. Th- it's for work. It's you for work. snivelling snake. So my day job as I work... For um, Reach PLC, who publish um, the biggest news publisher 
in the UK. They publish all the big regional newspapers, such as uh, Newcastle Evening Chronicle. So I do a lot of work for Newcastle Evening Chronicle. And on there, I host a, a history podcast about Newcastle United, where era by era, we are, uh, myself and the Newcastle United official club historian, Paul Joannew, are discussing Newcastle United history. I mean, we've reached the 90s and we've had some guests on and, well, you know, one thing led to another and uh, some Honestly. 90s footballers <laughs> came on the show. Oh, dear. So um, I just wanted to let you know before, you know, that you found out from someone else. You must have spent ages talking about all those trophies. Oh, oh no. <laughs> they're very, yeah, they're 30-minute they're episodes, so it's nothing too <laughs> extensive. It's not like a three-hour behemoth well, episode that we like we did with Higgy, so... Don't, all, don't I can, all I can it say meant nothing. Is, it meant nothing to me. I hope that you're building up your your little black book of names here, and you're going to make good use of them for the real quiz, searching for shinies. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, but yeah, I've been messaging a lot of my heroes, not just Alan Shearer, Cloggy. If you've Warren, messaged, if you've invited Shearer on the history one, and not on no, this no, one, no, 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 we just invited Shearer on the searching for shinies. Don't worry it, about that. Is the other podcast funnier than me? Uh, yes, he is. He's very funny. Oh, come be honest. On. Be honest. Uh, come on. Anyway, listener, the 1997 so Premier League shit. sticker book. Are we done here? Because our phone has stopped ringing. Our DMs are more barren than the Riverside Stadium. Oh, it gets worse. And unless Noel Whelan or Alan Shearer gets back to us, this could be the end. Searching for shinies. Um, are there are there any 90s podcasts out there that can do swaps with us? We'll we'll oh. happily trade Julian Watts' email address for anyone who can, you know, connect us to a player from. Aston Villa, Blackburn, Coventry, Everton, Liverpool, or Man United—the teams that we haven't found a player from yet. So maybe that's a, a an avenue for us to pursue swapsies. You know, if anyone else is uh, out there listening, um, we do have the Gaza special. Thank God, our documentary eagerly awaited. It's packed with the rarest Gaza stories you've ever heard. Honestly, you will be crying when you hear these. <laughs> good, good tears as well. Maybe some bad tears. Who knows? Mm. We we can't wait to release this episode. It's it's Gaza stories told by all the guests we've had on the show from both season one and season two of Searching for Shinies. And we've interviewed John Sheridan. Not Sheffield Wednesday's John Sheridan, but uh, Tottenham's John Sheridan, the Tottenham physio who looked after Gaza when he famously uh, injured his knee in the 1991 FA Cup final. John Sheridan, the physio, rehabbed Gaza and helped him settle at Lazio. So, I mean, you can imagine how many Gaza stories he, he has. Um, so we've interviewed him. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we're at. In the meantime, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at the Shiny Pod, and if you like us on Facebook, that'll be good. We're also at the Shiny Pod there, and keep those five star reviews coming. The, at the time of writing, we've had sixty two five star reviews, which uh, that's decent, isn't it? Uh, who's going to be the sixty third? Can't wait to find out. So yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And uh, Richie, we forgot to ask Rule Fox for his sound bites this episode, so I was wondering, can you sing us out with the Nicola Bertie song? Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, okay. Away you go. My name is Nicola Bertie. I'm aged about 30. I used to play in Milan. Inter. Now I walk down the street. All the girls that I meet say, Oi, gorgeous, what's your name? You don't get that on your crappy Newcastle podcast, do you? <laughs> Keep it shiny. Yeah.